heard mention, uh, if you don't know me, uh, pastoring at uh, Motion Church and um, have been, my goodness, in Waterbury since 1983. Started there um, pastoring another church uh, after pastoring in Bristol. So I've been kind of doing this for way too long. Uh, married to Patricia for 35 years, coming on 35 years, got four children. Uh, three of them married, one thinks he will soon. Um, they all serve with us in ministry currently at Motion. Uh, you met my oldest son last week, CJ, uh, who preached here. And um, that's all that has to say about me. My family attended Christ Community in Cheshire uh, for two years, years and years ago, in the mid-90s, and that's where I met Joel Shirk. Uh, some of you may know Joel, and uh, he and I have been friends, for my goodness, ever since. And we've been get together for coffee once a week. I think it's for the last 20 years. So we've been hanging out for a long time. So those of you who are still, or who have some memory of Christ community or somehow you were connected to that, that's, that's where I sort of connect. Known Dennis for many, known about Dennis for a lot of years. Uh, it's only been the last few years that I've got to know him personally uh, as part of Gatekeepers, which I'm sure he shared with you about quite a bit. So he invited me to come and share with you uh, with regards to your 10th anniversary. And first of all, I want to say congratulations. Uh, that's no small thing. Uh, thank you, Dennis, for clapping on that. That's good. Um, you know, similar to a startup business, uh, most churches go out of business within the five, first five years. I mean, a lot of startup businesses are the same way. The, the statistics are pretty close. So church plants don't often make it. And the fact that you have and that you've actually flourished is remarkable. So uh, you should be proud of that. Uh, Ten years is pretty cool. I understand a little bit of your history. I know, as Dennis was just mentioning, you didn't, start, uh, you didn't start Oasis when area churches got together in prayer and pronounced a blessing over Dennis to start a new church. I'm pretty sure that's not the way you started here. Um, if I understand it correctly, Dennis and Sandy were drafted into service. I'm pretty sure that that's accurate as well. Um, they accepted the call to start uh, your church at uh, the Grunge Hall in Southington, is my understanding, the Grunge Hall, and uh, grew a number. You took a step of faith a number of years ago, and that got you to your current location. Certainly through the years, you've gone through a lot of changes. Not everyone who started with you is probably still here for one reason or another. And by the way, that's pretty common. Um, you've grown in number, you've grown in quality, and I believe you have a really bright future ahead of you. Uh, so I'm here to celebrate with you and to, uh, and to encourage you in your faith. This morning, the majority of our text is going to come from Galatians in the fifth chapter. And my focus this morning is going to be how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. How to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join hands with the person next to you and uh, let's agree over this word. These are just words on a page unless the Holy Spirit uh, brings them to our understanding. We need his presence this morning. Father, thank you for Oasis. Thank you, Lord God, for this anniversary time. Thank you for the leadership here. Thank you <clears throat> for all that you've done in the past, in the present, and what you're going to be doing in the future. Lord, I ask you to anoint your word this morning to our hearing. <clears throat> I ask you, Lord, that we're able to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. And God, we open our hearts, we open our ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, I say then, 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to point out before we begin tonight, 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 today, that um, this is written to Christians. So this is addressed to believers. This is not addressed to those outside of the church. He's not talking about the contrast between followers of Christ and non-followers when he's speaking about the flesh, when he's speaking about the spirit. All this is directed at the church. And Paul is telling us up front that there is a war going on, a conflict, if you will, that resides in the life of every believer. He brought me water and I didn't drink it. And now I speak very... No, in it. <clears throat> so there's a battle going on. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. There's a battle going on in you and a battle going on in me between living in agreement with what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing and what Scripture calls for us to do as contrasted with the flesh, which is in direct opposition to God. So this battle goes on all the time. And by the way, it will go on until the day that you close your eyes for the last time on planet earth. You will always be in this battle. Now, some of you don't even, perhaps not, are not even in a battle because the flesh just wins. But I want to encourage you today that Paul is calling us all to a battle, and it is a daily battle, to make certain that the flesh does not win. If you're going to walk in the spirit, you cannot walk in the flesh at the same time. That's what he's saying here. So a choice needs to be made, and quite frankly, a choice needs to be made all the time in order to walk in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. And so he counsels them, if they're led by the Holy Spirit, they're not under the law. You're not, well, I don't want to go into that because it gets way too deep in another direction, but basically, you're not under regulations. You don't live your life on do not Or do this, do that, do this, do that. It's a relationship he's talking about here, not a set of rules and regulations. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not living under a set of rules and regulations. You're living in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, there's a great deal here, and I can't unpack it all this morning, and I won't even try. So I'm going to stay very basic and ask a simple question. This is the question. Who are you? Who are you? The answer is all equally simple. You are a spirit. You are a spirit. Now, you may not feel like one, and your relatives may not view you that way. But if you are born again in Jesus Christ, you are born again, you are a spirit. You are someone with the capacity to have intimate fellowship with God. God is a spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 4, 24. He said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit, small s, and in truth or reality. So those who have not been born again yet cannot worship him in this way. 
They also have a spirit, but it's dead. Or at the very best, comatose. When you're born again, or born from above is literally what it means. When you're born from above, your spirit comes alive. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You are quickened, it says in the King James. Quickened when you are born again. Your spirit comes alive. And there's an entirely different component to you that you've not been aware of until that time. You are not the same. Has anyone ever said that to you? After you became born again, people said there's something different about you. Or maybe they say, no, you're the same. I don't know. That spirit came alive. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You have a soul. Many Christians mistakenly think that the spirit and the soul are exactly the same thing, but they're not. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. These are two separate entities within you. And they need to be separated by the word of God, and they need to be separated in your understanding and consciousness. You need to understand what comes from your soul and what comes from the spirit if you're going to be led by the Spirit. So what makes you unique as a person is your soul. That's where your personality is. You are a unique individual. Your soul is comprised of your mind, your capacity to think. Your soul is, is comprised of your will, your ability to make decisions. It's your personality. It's also your emotions, which means you're not a robot. You are an emotional person with a personality, with a thought capacity, with a will. All of these are part of your soul. Before you became born again, your soul coordinated with your body to rule your life, for good or bad. So your soul and body ruled your life, your time, your finances, your destiny. Your soul and your spirit are both eternal. Your soul is also eternal. Now again, we could go into many scriptures to prove this, but we would run out of time. The you that you are familiar with right now is eternal. Your personality, your will, your emotions, all the things that you know of as you are going into eternity one way or another. Your soul was never designed to rule your life apart from God. Your soul was never designed to rule your life apart from God. Finally, you live in a body. I know that that's a shock to many of you, but you live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. The container that we live in was originally designed by God to last forever. But sin changed all that. And we could equally spend an enormous amount of time looking into how our world was negatively transformed when sin entered the picture. But I'll move on. This body is temporary. I know that most of you know that. Especially when you get up in the morning. We're all going to lose this container 
No matter how well we preserve it, go ahead and exercise. All those things are good, but it's not going to keep you from death. I don't know if, how many of you remember, old enough to remember, Jack LaLanne. Anybody? Jack LaLanne. I think when he was 90, he pulled, I don't know, 40 or 50 boats with his teeth across the English Channel or something like that. I mean, this guy was an exercise nut. He was in great shape, and he died. He died healthy, but he died. This body is not designed to go much further. We, we have it. Oftentimes we think of the body kind of like the flesh. Well, it is the flesh in a, in a physical sense. In the most basic sense, it is the flesh. However, when Scripture speaks to, about the flesh, it seldom, if ever, is speaking about this container. So Paul continues to share with us from Galatians chapter 5, and he says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, is going on and on here, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance. He's speaking once again to Christians. I'm telling you these things in advance, as I told you already, I'm repeating myself, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a mouthful. Some of these behaviors we understand easily are fleshly behaviors. When we look at sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, All these are speaking about sex outside of the confines of a marriage relationship. Most of us would recognize easily these are works of the flesh. Our bodies, our physical bodies, want sexual satisfaction. So those who don't know Christians, or don't know Christ, excuse me, will empower their minds, their will, their emotions, and their personality to acquire what God says is unlawful. That's what the soul does. I'm going to get what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Me, 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 me. That's the soul. The soul is involved in self-gratification. It wants what it wants, when it wants it. And so Paul is warning Christians and saying, if you have a life where you're allowing your soul to dictate how you live, you're in trouble. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to see God move in your life at all if you lived your life entirely based on the dictates of what your soul tells you, yes, no, and in between. Are you still here? I'm going deep here, folks. I'll come up for air in a moment. Most Christians understand what I've just said as fleshly behavior, but I want you to notice some of the other ones. He mentions idolatry. Idolatry essentially is placing any object or relationship to God, making it God, which controls our behavior. So if we put an object, an object could be of worship. We think of worship as as something we do on Sunday morning, but worship is when you give your full heart and attention to something. So you can actually worship a car. You can worship a house, a boat. You can even worship a person. But that can be, and frankly, it frankly is, idolatry. Whenever we displace God with something and make it more important, we're practicing idolatry. That's why he's warning about it. He's not worried about them putting a wooden statue in their house. Now look at the next one, sorcery. Now would you think that that's a fleshly behavior? Sorcery or witchcraft is noted here as a work of the flesh. 
Again, most would not see this in the realm of the flesh. Witchcraft or sorcery is manipulating another person to get what you want. Jeez, I just realized that all salesmen must be... As a former salesman, I reject that thought. It is manipulating someone to do what you want, to get what you want. That is the essence of sorcery or witchcraft, is when people are, are being dominated by you, or you are being dominated by them. They're using actions, they're using emotions, they're using whatever's at their disposal to dominate you. That's witchcraft. And both men and women do this all the time, unfortunately. Initially, it's a fleshly behavior, though it can enter into the realm of the supernatural, demonic realm, if left unchecked. But again, look at these practices, and we're not going to go over all of them, but look at many of the behaviors on this list. Hatred, strife, jealousy, drunkenness, selfish ambition. All of these things are about me. They're all about me getting what I want. And again, most Christians think of a lot of these behaviors as minor sins. We sort of look at sorcery as being a big deal, but hating somebody, not so much. Now, I grew up in a Catholic environment. It made it very simple. You had your mortal sins, you had your venial sins. And many of these things would be classified as venial sins, like just the little stuff. It's not as big as murder. But see, the scriptures don't make that delineation. And that's not a casting shade on the Catholic Church, but the concept that some sins are greater, they have more impact on society, but in God's eyes, they're the same. And they keep us from walking in the Holy Spirit. So I want you to notice what Paul concludes here. Those who practice all of this stuff, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear. But I personally believe that the vast majority of Christians are confused between their soul and their spirit. The confusion between soul and spirit dooms Christians to a life of fruitfulness, fruitlessness. We come to church, which is good. We occasionally do something nice. That's all good. But essentially, most Christians live their lives precisely like those around them. We're not distinguishable in our neighborhoods. We're not distinguishable in our job places. We're not distinguishable at all. The early Christians more clearly understood that the soul is capable of being nice. But that doesn't mean you're spirit-led. Being a nice person is okay. But you can be nice using your soul, and it doesn't require the activity of the Holy Spirit. The soul has the ability to do many altruistic things, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily led by God. I'm going to start a ministry called Jogging for Jesus. Well, I may go ahead and jog and do it for Jesus, but does that mean that the Holy Spirit is leading me to do that? And probably not, especially me. And a lot of Christians will Christianize soulish activities and sort of saying, well, God wants me to start of this. And because it's all about God, they think the Holy Spirit's leading them. But that doesn't necessarily mean your soul can do a lot of things for God, but not with God. Are you still here? Have you gone home? This is getting painful now. We can do a lot of things for God, but he's not leading us to do those things. 
And this is why it's so critical that every believer learns the difference between soul and spirit and learns to be led by the spirit and not by the flesh. You can be led doing good things and think you're doing great things for God, but he doesn't want you trying to please him that way. He wants you to be led because he wants you to have a relationship with him. And then go ahead and do the things he's asked you to do. He doesn't need more Ishmaels in the kingdom of God. He doesn't need us building things for him. We may think we've got to do all these things in order to get God's attention. He's not, he doesn't function that way. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Amen? Well, I've only made at least half of you mad, so I've got to keep going. Praise God. A person who is led by their spirit in cooperation with the Holy Spirit uses their soul to stop a self-protective behavior. I've got to say that again because it's a lot. A person who is led by their spirit in cooperation with the Holy Spirit uses their mind, will, emotions, and personality to put a stop to self-protective behavior. What is lying? Lying is simply a self-protective behavior. You lie to keep, out from, keep from taking responsibility for something you've done. So you just basically tell a lie, right? That's a self-protective behavior. Very simple to understand that. So... A person who is led by the Holy Spirit, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, tells the soul, you are not going to lie. I stop you. I'm going to use my will, my mind. My, my mind. I'm going to stop that. I know I am not going to lie because that is wrong. I'm going to speak the truth even though it may cause consequences. I'm going to speak the truth in love. That's where your spirit is interrupting what your soul wants to do and says, no, 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 no. We're not doing that because that's not what God wants. Does that make sense? We do this all the time in one form or another. And we can do it. Someone says, I can't stop this behavior. You're lying. You can. I think one of the things that amuses me the most is, you know, you can have these incredible arguments and then the phone rings and all of a sudden your behavior changes instantly. Hi. How did you do that? You have the ability to change your emotions, change your mind, change the way you're doing things by a decision of your will. And so people say, I can't stop it. It's not true. You may have a heavy influence on you, but you can change your behavior. You do not have to keep doing things the same way. You getting out of this, anything out of this just yet? So a spirit-led person uses their will and subjects their body the way it's supposed to operate in order to accomplish the will of God. It's clear from Scripture, and it doesn't take a rocket science, scientist. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. We read in Scripture, his soul cried out to the Father... Father, please take this cross from me. That's his soul saying, help me. I don't want to do this. 
But finally, his spirit said, okay, soul, you've expressed yourself to the Father, and you're, you're supposed to do that. But now here's the deal. You're going to the cross. You don't want to. Your soul is not going to get its self-protective dynamics going there. You're going to be exposed in ways you don't want to be exposed. But Jesus' spirit said, no, this is what we're doing because not my will, but thine be done. That's an example of the spirit taking charge over the soul to do the will of God. And most often to do the things that God wants you to do, something's going to have to stop that you may not want to stop. There's an old saying that says, if you really want to know what the cross is, the cross is when your will and God's will cross and he wins. So Jesus says, I'm going to the cross even though my body and my soul hate the idea. I am not going to be dominated by the flesh. Every effective Christian must become to grips with the fact Your soul cannot rule your life and then produce eternal fruit. Now, again, there are a lot of, and Jesus, excuse me, Paul addressed this a lot. He spoke about carnal Christians a lot in Romans and 1 Corinthians. What did he mean by that? He meant that they had a relationship with God, but they were doing their own thing. They were doing whatever they wanted. That's what he defined as carnal Christians. Someone who was a spirit-led Christian is someone who says, okay, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And it doesn't always mean having to go to an actual cross. But oftentimes it's different than what you had planned to do if you're going to do God's will. Well, again, let's pick up the reading in Galatians once again. Here's what Paul says at the end of this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, against such things, there is no law. There's no regulation against those things. But now those who belong to Christ Jesus, what have they done? They have crucified the flesh. Now we go around with a whip and just all day long? Of course not. The flesh here is not your physical body. It's that tendency to be doing what I want to do all the time. What my mind, will, and emotions and personality come up with. I'm going to do my own will. That's what the flesh is about. And he's saying those who are going to be led by the Spirit have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Now again, truly there's a lot here. But let me draw your attention to Paul's conclusion. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Critical to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is using your will to force your soul to submit to the Spirit in you. Let me say that again. Critical to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is using your will to force your soul to submit to the Spirit in you. The fruit that Paul is mentioning here is not religious fruit. If we really were to read this correctly, it would say, the fruit of the Spirit is to love people who are hateful. 
The fruit of the Spirit is to have joy when your world is falling apart. The fruit of the Spirit is to have peace when everyone is fighting. The the fruit of the Spirit is to have patience when your soul is demanding results right now. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness towards people who are being nasty to you. All of those things would really be a, a better context in terms of our understanding because these are fruits of the Spirit. They're not like just something comes out of and you're sort of blithely walking down the street saying, love, joy, peace, kindness, like some kind of yogi. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about manifesting something supernatural out of you that is not your normal way of dealing with things. That you normally get very angry, but you say to the soul, soul, that's not going to happen. We're going to bless that person. We're not going to curse them. That normally I'm going to get impatient, but no, soul, you're going to sit down and shut your mouth. You're not running my life anymore. We're going to do what God wants to do in this circumstance. And let me tell you, folks, if you're really going to walk in the Spirit, you're going to have to get military about this. Your soul will run your life if it's allowed to, and it will get stronger and stronger if it's allowed to. The more you feed it, the stronger it gets. And again, that may be okay with you, but I want to share something with you. The eternal dynamics of being led by the Spirit, if you want to hear from God, you want to walk with God, you're going to have to deal with that soul. Paul makes it clear. It's got to be crucified. Now, again, you're not going to put yourself out of existence. He's not talking about annihilating who you are by any means. He's just putting it in order so that the soul is subject or subjected to the spirit. You don't function because the soul wants to do things. You say, okay, God, what is it you want? Anybody ever read the book, What Would Jesus Do? Not not called that. It's called Sheldon. In His Steps. Ever heard of the book or read the book? I would encourage you to read it or or get a hold of it. It's an old book. But it just talks about a congregation that, through a series of circumstances, made a commitment to only take action by first asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? And it changed the whole congregation. Some of them really suffered. Some of them did really well, but it changed the course of their lives because they made a quality decision that for one year they were going to not make any major decision in their life without first asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? And that's a good representation of what it means to walk in the Spirit, where you stop saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into another, war, another city, and I'm going to work for six months, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start a new business, and I'm going to make my barns filled, and I'm going to get them all the way I want to, and I'm going to say to my soul, soul, rest up. And what does Jesus say? Today your soul is required of you. We don't exist on this world very long, folks. I know you came here to hear good news. There is good news in here. But it starts with realizing we cannot walk by the soul and experience the spirit. You just can't do it. It's not possible. These fruits that are spoken about here are not human nature. You might say, well, you're normally a very joyful person. That's not what it's talking about here. I mean, praise God if you are. You're a blessing if you're a really joyful person. But it's talking about having joy when everyone else hates you or when everybody else is coming against you, when circumstances are falling apart, when your world is falling apart, and you say, you know what? It's all falling apart, but thank God I'm a child of God. And you rejoice because of all he's done for you. That's joy, real joy in the spirit. So next time when someone cuts you off in traffic, open your window, shake your fist, and yell, Go to heaven! Go to heaven! 
You and I will always have the flesh to contend with. Always. I don't care how long you serve God. The soul will absolutely dominate you if you don't take charge and say, no. No. That's why Jesus told his followers, he said, listen, when you come into a place, take the lower seat. He didn't care about their, their seating arrangements. He wanted to establish an attitude within his disciples. Tell your soul, you're not going to exalt yourself. You're not going to the head of the table. You're not going to look for people to affirm you. You're not going to look for people to get attention. You're not going to do that. You're going to take the lower place. You're going to tell your soul, this is what we're, we're here to serve. We're not here to be worshipped. And so taking the lower seat is not simply a matter of gatherings. It's a matter of taking the lower seat all the time, saying, how can I be of service here? Tell your soul you will not exalt yourself. You will take the lower seat on purpose. You will, take, you will turn the other cheek when you'd rather try out your new AK-57 or whatever that is. It's a real battle, folks. If you want to walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to need to face the fact you've got a real enemy and it's start staring back at you in the mirror. There's your enemy. Because that person wants to rule your life. And it's not your soul is evil. God created it. You are a living soul. But it's not designed to be the Lord of your existence. If you're going to walk in the Spirit... You're going to need to take that soul and say, okay, God, okay, soul, we're following God today. That's why you see in the Psalms, it says, David, it says, he spoke to himself and he would say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why did he say that? Because he didn't feel like it. I mean, it boggles my mind. So many Christians come into church and they're kind of expecting, you know, to be inspired before they participate. Forget about it. Forget about it. We, ex- we want to be inspired before we worship. No, you worship. Anytime you come into church, you worship. There's a church not too far from here, and they don't believe in instruments. Church of Christ, as a denomination, doesn't believe in instruments. Which makes it strange. It's hard to have fellowship with these people. But you go to Church of Christ over in Waterbury. It's a congregation of about 150 people. You go in there and it starts by... Somebody takes one of those pitch pitch pipes. Give you the key. Because they have no instruments, the singing in that church is extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it blows you over. Because people understand we don't have an instrument to help us So they just fully participate in the worship experience. Oftentimes, not saying anything about Oasis, but I've seen this in many churches, because there's a worship team, we sort of like let them do the worshiping for us. And we'll participate if it's a really, really good song. But otherwise, we're going to stick with me, 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 and mumble. Folks, worship is between you and the Father. It's this congregation worshiping God. It's not about trying to get everybody's attention. It's not trying to, trying to say anything or do anything. It's say, say, opening your heart to the Lord. We ought to be in a place where we come to Oasis or any church. We want to be there early so that when worship starts, we're ready to worship. We're not here to show anybody what a worshiper we are. We're not here to impress anybody. We're here to say, Father, thank you. 
And we don't need somebody to come up there and say, come on, folks, let's praise the Lord. Oh, that drives me out of my mind. We, don't, we shouldn't have to be encouraged. It ought to be ready there, ready to go. God loves that person that's staring back at you from that mirror, but he or she must be told that you're going to do what you're going to do and how you're going to act every day. Now, over the years, I know, just being in this business, some have left Oasis Church. A few moved away, and perhaps even some moved away for perfectly good and right motives, but I'm willing to bet that there have been many who have allowed their flesh to dominate their emotions, their thoughts, their personality, and eventually their will. So they, because this happens to pastors all the time. Some of the nastiest things have been said to me as a pastor through the years. Because why? Because people are being led by their soul. I'm okay with anybody leaving a church if God told them. I'm not okay with people just saying, well, we didn't like this. We didn't like the children's ministry, so we found another place to go. Really? God told you that? Is that how you're led by the Spirit because it's comfortable or not comfortable? We need to be led by the Spirit. In other words, what does God want me to do with my life? Where does he want me to go? How does he want me to worship? Unfortunately, those folks who left by the flesh short-circuited God's plans. They chose their own. I doubt that it went well for them. Because you can't keep making your own choices and doing your own thing and expect God to say, praise the Lord, praise me. He's not going to encourage you to do selfish behaviors. He wants us to be led by the Spirit. Now, how does this apply to Oasis? If you truly want God, learn to put his purposes and his will first. Now, how does that happen, practically speaking? How does it happen? I want to leave you with a CTA this morning. Do you know what a CTA is? Call to action, CTA. I want to give you something to do. Let's see if we can put the Word of God into practice. Let me give you something simple. You can do it. It's easy to do. It's easy not to do. Anybody up for it? How many want to be led by the Spirit? Okay, at least half of you, so that's, that's a good percentage. It's, it's, a, it's a secret, but it shouldn't be a secret, but Scripture says this. We enter His gates with thanksgiving and then into His courts with praise. That's Psalm 100. That's also a powerful statement. Do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? Is your world falling apart? Is everything confused? Is everything a mess? doesn't matter. You want to walk in the Spirit. Start by thanking God. Now, the mistake that many Christians make is they're waiting to feel like it. And as we say in Italy, stonad. You will never feel like it. Your soul doesn't want to thank anybody because that has to acknowledge that you need help. We don't like saying thank you. We'd rather do it ourselves. The whole act of thanking is acknowledging you need somebody else. So our soul is not going to be naturally acclimated to thank God. And so if you wait for yourself to get thankful, (laughs) you'll die. 
But here I want to give you a CTA. You can change your life measurably by starting your day thanking God. Enter his gates, that's the door, with thanksgiving. Now I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. How many have prayed and then five minutes later you're thinking about the transmission in your car? We have wandering souls. They wander. So you start by saying, thank you, Lord, and three minutes later you're thinking about, you know, a Danish and coffee. Which now I'm thinking about it. I shouldn't even mention it. Here's what I'm going to mention to you that I think is a, it's a practical CTA, but it will help you. What I've done, which helps me because I need organization just like you, is I've actually created a document and my iPad says declarations on it. And every morning I get up, the declarations are there, and I actually go through those declarations. It's about a page and a half. And I thank God, and I start listing the things I'm thanking him for. Because I'll forget or I'll get distracted. And I verbally do that. I have to verbally do that. I can't do it in my heart. I don't know about you, but unless I say it with my mouth, it really doesn't have much impact. And so I need to get alone, and I need to say, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you've ordained me to be victorious today. Thank you that you've called me to be your child. Thank you that there is nothing that can defeat me today because you greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Scripture says, pray for your government officials. How many do that every day? I doubt you do. But if it's on paper, you will. Father, I pray for the government. I pray for the state of Connecticut, who's now electing all new government in the next few weeks. But I won't remember to do that unless, personally, unless it's written in front of me. I don't know about you, but I need that. And after you've done it for three or four days, it will bore you to tears to do it. Because our soul wants stimulation. And it'll say, gas, forget about it. Again, take your soul and say, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. And you'll find that each time you just begin to thank God, all of a sudden you like it. There's something in your spirit that responds to thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. It reminds you. It realigns your mind. It gets your mind in the right place so that your soul is aligned with your spirit. You begin to say, thank you, Lord. You've given me everything I need according to life and godliness. You've given me what I need. You've made me more than a conqueror through him who loved me. You begin to bring these scriptures to mind. All of a sudden, you're thanking God, thanking God, thanking God. And before you know it, you're praising God. You enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. It realigns you. I want to challenge you as a CTA. Do that for a week. And tell me if it doesn't change your life. It's changed mine. Because you begin to look for the Lord to move. You're not, you're not anxious about anything anymore because Scripture says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. There's a principle right there in, in, in Philippians 4. It is a CTA. It's something you can do. It's easy to do. It's easy not to do. Will you do it?
Will you make a commitment? If I said to you, I'm going to give $100 to everyone who makes that commitment, would you make that commitment? It would certainly tell me something about your soul. Has this been helpful to you this morning? Our hope, my hope, in preaching to you and sharing this morning to you is not uh, anything other than to help you and I to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be practical or we won't do it. And the Holy Spirit is practical. Align your mind at the beginning of every day. Do it for a week. You will be astounded at the change. And it will govern how you think about other things during the day. You'll stop. So I don't need to get angry at this person. They're just trying to, they're just doing the best they can. It, it, it aligns your spirit so that you're not acting and reacting all the time. Get anything out of this this morning? Well, I'm about to melt, so I have to get off the, get off stage, but I want to invite uh, Dennis Vaughn back. Thank you. Casey. Can I mention just real quick? Uh-huh. Um, when I went to Zimbabwe last year, I mean, I, I've traveled to a number of countries and I've never had an interest in missions, to be honest with you. Been to Africa and India and all that kind of stuff and always just wanted to get home. Uh, a series of circumstances came together that uh, enabled me to go to Zimbabwe. I'd never met this pastor before. And I prayed, saying, Lord, they don't need another person coming here giving more sermons. I sh- I'm sure they can get them on tape or they can get them elsewhere. I don't need to get a, a plane ticket to preach at them. they got a pastor, all that stuff. So, Lord, is there a purpose for, for my going? And I was driving in my car, and I was studying about Zimbabwe and its, its, its history and all that kind of stuff, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Uh, he used a loudspeaker and a CD. No, he, uh, what do I mean by the Holy Spirit spoke to me? In my spirit, I heard. Did not with the ears. In my spirit, I heard. Zimbabwe was once the breadbasket of Africa. I will make it my breadbasket again. This time, it will be a breadbasket not only of physical food, but of spiritual, spiritual food that will feed the entire continent. Now, Zimbabwe, because of corruption and a variety of things, has become a third world country. It is rich in resources, but it is filled with corruption. And so when I went over last November, I went to the pastor, and he, 
he, I never met him before, but I think he was looking at me and saying, here comes another American to tell us what to do. That's what a lot of people think, by the way. The Americans think they know what they're doing. And he didn't know me. And so he said, what do you think that, what do you think God has sent you here for? And I told him exactly what the Lord had laid up on my heart. His face went white. And he said, when I was in Toronto 15 years ago, and he identified a person came up to him and said precisely the same words to him when he was in an entirely another country. And so he was shocked because God was in it. The very next day, the government fell. So I'm in Zimbabwe, and I get a text from the State Department that says, stay inside or you might get shot. <laughs> Praise God! <laughs> and all I can remember is excitement. Say, God, I didn't expect you to begin to do this so quickly. Because the government that existed there, there was no possible way that they would ever prosper. And the government has gone through a lot of stuff, but the government is going to, not the main ingredient here. God has said that he wants to do something in Zimbabwe that's of him. And so my message to them, and as I began to minister to Zimbabweans, I fell in love with the people, fell in love with the pastor. God just did amazing, amazing things. I can't wait to get back there. And there's nothing there. It's not like, it's a third world country. You know, there's places, no electricity, no plumbing. I could care less. It's just, it's one of those dynamics where I just want to go back. Because God is at move, God is moving there uh, in my life and, and for them. But and God created a real bond between me and the pastor, and I want to do everything I can to help him. He's been through a lot of stuff. But um, thank you for your prayers. Uh, but I just want to kind of give you an insight as to what's happened. And God is moving in amazing ways in Zimbabwe. As a country, they are loaded with gold. They are loaded with uh, platinum. Oil, I don't think they have oil, not oil, but they have more, more resources than you can really imagine. But because of corruption, they haven't been able to do anything with it. The, the current president, who was just reelected, has a mind and has made it very clear he wants to open the entire country to the world. He wants to reestablish relationship with the United States. And he's attracting, attracting investments all over the place. But he's, he says, listen, we're open for business. We're not going to stay isolated anymore. We want people in here. And so he's asking for help, and some countries are responding. Russia and China are in there big time. I'm looking at the United States and saying, come on, Trump, get on, get on this. But I believe that God not only wants to prosper them in a physical realm, that's only one small aspect of it. God has a, the people of Zimbabwe have a heart for God. They really do. It's easy to preach the gospel there. They love, they, they love to hear the word of God preached. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of give you that brief update.